Meet the Robinsons. This is uh, theology according to Disney. <laughs> it's uh, amazing. Uh, my kids love that movie, but every time we get to that scene, uh, I'm always amazed that they actually put that scene in a kid's movie. Uh, if you've never seen the movie, uh, it's don't worry about it. Uh, the guy who was dressed in black, the little bowler hat guy, uh, was really... His life was driven by hate and by anger, and uh, his life was completely ruled by that. So he, it's a really weird story. He's back in time. That's him as a little kid, right? I don't know if you caught that. Don't worry about it if you didn't. Um, but he's telling himself as a little kid, let hate and let anger uh, rule your actions, rule your life. Uh, we're in the midst of a series right now uh, called I Want to Live, which is a a study of uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, this morning we're getting to uh, a pretty, uh, well, incredibly practical um, teaching uh, by Jesus on the issue of hate, on the issue of just anger, on the issue of just bitterness, and as I was thinking through that clip, uh, the encouragement by the old bowler hat guy to the little bowler hat kid uh, was simply... Uh, instead, let it fester. The advice was just let it go. But his advice was let it fester. Let your hate be your ally. Don't let it go. And just quick question. You have to raise your hand. But how many of you here, how many of us have struggled with anger? Now, if I were to ask you to raise your hands, all of us at some point uh, will have to at least fess up and say, yeah, I've dealt with anger uh, quite a bit. Now, you might not see yourself like, like an angry person, uh, but anger has many, many faces. Like one face of anger is just silence. Like you have to watch out for those silent ones because there's a reputation, right? There's a reason we have this phrase of that guy's going to go postal is because he's so silent, he's so quiet, but yet this anger is festering up in him. At some point, something what would seem trivial just causes in him to explode. And I don't mean to make light of that, but the reality is how many shootings have taken place just in the last couple weeks? You know, another shooting down in Florida, another shooting down at Fort Hood. I mean, all of the senseless office violence, all the senseless just school shootings. So there's silence, annoyance, frustration, drive, or intensity. Sometimes people pride themselves, I'm just I'm a driven person. I'm just intense. But behind that face is usually someone who's battling with anger and trying to prove themselves uh, through their drive and intensity. Uh, sometimes it shows up in verbal. Like, I don't know if you've ever been verbally assaulted by someone, but you just, in the aftermath of them literally assaulting you with words, you're like, wow, you are an angry individual. And um, sexual violence. How many spouses are sexually abused by their spouse in anger. I'm not even talking about rape. Obviously, that's horrific, physical violence. People just don't know what to do with their anger, and so they just they start swinging. Now, anger is an emotion, so it could be positive or it could be negative. The Bible does make clear that there is a difference between righteous anger and unrighteous anger. So you can have the guy who's like total road rage, individual, uh, to slamming doors, to screaming. You have that spectrum of someone who's physically or visibly showing their anger. 
uh, to the person who just is, you ever find that person who just always seems annoyed or irritated? They're not like slamming doors and cutting people off and flipping people off, but they're just always irritated and they get annoyed at what would seem like just the simplest thing. Now, some of you are smiling because you're like, wait a minute, that's me. That has to do with anger? Yes. So this is what we're heading to today is the issue of anger. Let me ask another question. Have you ever been impacted by somebody's anger? Right? All of us have been at the receiving end of someone being angry. Have you ever seen a relationship, boyfriend, girlfriend, friendship, spouse, that has been utterly destroyed by anger? There was so much anger that it literally killed the friendship, killed the marriage, killed whatever the relationship was. Think about this. When is, and this, let it be fresh, could have been just this morning. When's the last time you got angry? And I want you to think about what was it that you actually got angry about? So it literally could have been just driving here this morning. It could have been something that happened yesterday, but Bring to mind, what is the last thing, last person, last situation you found yourself getting angry uh, within yourself, getting angry about? Now, as you are thinking about that, I just want you to wrestle with this question. Did your response of anger or you becoming angry, whether it was anger through silence, slamming doors, frustration, annoyance, just irritability, Did your anger actually accomplish anything? Like, did it make you or did it make the situation at all better? Meaning, did it help? When you got angry, and again, whatever face it showed up in, did it actually help? Did it help you? Did it help that person? Did it help that situation? Another is, did your anger, I'm going to give you the answer is no, but did your anger actually lead towards restoration or reconciling whatever the broke relationship may have been. Like, I can't think at all of one example in my own life where I was so angry that the person was like, wow, thank you. I do want to restore and have a a reconciled relationship with you. Like, it just doesn't, it doesn't happen like that. I don't, well, let me, I never considered myself uh, to be an angry person, like ever. I've never been in a fight in my entire life. I never hit someone. No one's ever hit me. I've never got in such an intense situation where like someone was ready to pop me. They may have wanted to, and they looked and like, wow, that guy will kill me if I do that. That's probably what happened. (laughs) But I've never like verbally assaulted someone. Like I'm talking about like screaming, foaming at the mouth, cussing and cursing my head off at someone, totally belittling them with my words. I just never thought of myself as an angry person until Steve Boggs. Uh, Steve Boggs, I used to work at a church, and I was a youth pastor, and uh, I was in a staff meeting, and Steve, uh, he was in charge of, um, uh, what was his name? It was like staff relations, whatever that title. He was some head of some committee that was supposed to help the staff get along. So he was sitting in at one of these meetings, and as these meetings typically would go sometimes, uh, you know, I would just be very intense and very passionate, very energetic, and I come out of this meeting, and I'm thinking Steve's going to applaud me and be like, wow, Michael, thank you so much for your zeal. Thank you so much for your passion. 
And he looked at me, put his hand on my shoulder, and I'll never forget. He said, Michael, you have an anger problem. And if you don't deal with your anger problem, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to get hurt because of you. And of course, I was like, Steve, you have no idea what you're talking about. Like, that is absolutely not me. But then that comment was, um, I think, 1997, 1998. And I remember that one comment from nearly 15 some odd years ago. It literally stuck with me. And why it stuck is because it was true. Like it took someone else pointing out in me that I actually had an issue, a serious issue with anger. And again, I was not the fighter. I was not swearing and cussing, foaming at the mouth. My anger was usually hid by my silence or hid in my passion or my competitiveness and all of my drive and intensity. But beneath all of that, I had a serious issue with anger. It would sometimes come out with Kyla, and I don't mean like in a verbal or physical type of way, uh, but she would be on the brunt end of usually a lot of silence. And then when I had kids, uh, so my kids now are six, five, and three. Uh, the first year I had, um, we had kids, I stayed at home with Tristan uh, for the entire year. I really saw how much my anger came out towards him. Now, I was not the guy you see on the news who's like shaking his baby like that, but I would find myself getting so angry because he wouldn't sleep or he wouldn't feed when I wanted him to. Or he, he was like literally 12 days old and I'm finding myself getting angry at him because he's not listening to me. I have no category that he's 12 and doesn't understand English yet. He doesn't even know who I am. And literally for that entire year, I was always wrestling, why, why are you so angry? Now, again, I never did anything weird or anything like that, but it was stuff that just battled and raged within. Now, I hope as I'm sharing some of this with you, some of you are like, wow, that's totally me. Now, it might not show up in like if you have a kid, but it's that anger that just sits, you sit in it, and you just stew over things. So what is your face? If anger has many faces, what face does it show up for you? It's really helpful to identify that. Because I always thought the angry people are the ones getting in fights and just screaming at people. I was meeting with a friend this week, and I was standing outside his building, and no joke, I hear this woman screaming at the top of her lungs, did that dog just do that on that lawn over there? She went nuts, like some dog, dog walker was walking their dog, their dog did their thing, and they walked on without picking it up. Now, if that was me, I would have been like, wow, I would really want to say something to that person, but I'd usually just walk away. This lady literally chased down this person, screaming verbal obscenities at them the entire way. I didn't be like, wow, I'm a shell of a person. Or you find comfort in anger, because it's just all you've known. And you just don't know any other way. So, couple realities. Anger prevents us from developing relationships with people. Because to be honest, I wouldn't want to be friends with you. I wouldn't want you to be friends with me if I was still that angry, just ticked off at everything. It will prevent new relationships getting formed. Anger destroys current relationships. Because an angry person has no category for restoration, for things like reconciliation. Anger, as we'll see, will kill your relationship with God. One of the things that we'll talk about, it's really hard praying 
like taking communion, singing songs about how much we love God, when in our hearts we're like, I hate that person. They're so annoying. Like, it just, God's like, really? You're going to tell me how much you love me, but in your heart tell me how much you hate that person? How annoyed with that person? How frustrated with that person you are? Here's a couple more truths about anger. You can't hide it. If you think you can hide it, it will always show up. Anger always reveals itself. No matter what face you have, anger will always show up. Anger is contagious. It's infectious. Meaning if you have that bug called anger, it will spread. It's like poison. It's like a snake bite. It's venom. You bite someone else with your anger, not only does that hurt them, destroy them potentially, you put your venom that's in you, it's now in that person. Anger gives birth to anger and gives birth to anger. And as I mentioned earlier, Jesus says pretty boldly, it's murder. Like I would venture to say probably no one in this room, I hope you wouldn't, would literally just pick up a knife and stab it in someone's heart. Like I hope you wouldn't do that. And we have a category, well, of course, that's physically murdering someone. I hope our hearts minds would be open today that in God's economy, God, Jesus, equates anger to murder, to killing God's creation, those who bear his image. So here's a question. After the fall, meaning if you go back all the way to Genesis, it's a great story in chapter 1 and 2. Adam and Eve had a great relationship. Uh, They had a great relationship with God. But then in chapter 3, they decide to rebel against God. And they say, God, we're shaking our fists at you. We're going to do our own thing. We know best. We're going our own way. And so they disobey God. And God says there's clear consequences for that disobedience, separation from God. Ever since then, we've all been separated from God because of sin. Genesis chapter 4. What is the first recorded sin after the fall? Okay, so if you go to Genesis 4, there's two brothers, Cain and Abel. Okay, one tends the flocks, tends the sheep. One is a guy who works the land. Both brothers bring a sacrifice to God. Abel, the younger guy, brings an offering to God that was really pleasing because it was his best of the best of the best. Cain brings an offering, nah, it was like leftovers. And so God comes to Cain with a question. And by the way, anytime God asks you a question, pay attention, okay? So this is a big question in Genesis 4. It goes like this. God says to Cain, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Okay? First question that God poses to man post-fall is to Cain. Why are you so angry? Can you imagine God speaking? You're hearing that word coming to you. Why on earth are you so angry? Like, and I have a sense that God might be speaking and already asking some of that question, that question to you. Why are you so angry? He goes on, why are you, is your face so downcast? You see, anger can't hide. It's always visible. It will always show up. For Cain, it was in a clear presence, body language, speaking 
that he was angry. He's silenced. There's no response from Cain. So God goes on. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? You have a choice here, Cain. This is your moment in time. If you do what is right, you will be right with me and you will be right with your family. That's his moment to choose. What will Cain do? God gives him that out. If you just do what is right. What's in your heart? Don't do that, Cain. Because God can read the heart and he's saying to Cain, I know the jealousy, the hatred that is brewing in your heart towards me and towards God or towards Abel. Don't do that. Don't follow through on that. He goes on. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. It's this picture of anger. Sin is ready to pounce on him. It's just ready to, to devour him. What he thinks he's going to do to devour someone is actually he's the one that's about to be devoured by his anger. This is Genesis, um, I don't know if I have this on the screen, but Genesis, uh, the story goes on in, in verse 8. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and he killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? Okay, this is not God like, I, I can't find Abel. I seem to have misplaced him. There's only a few people on the planet right now. I don't know where your brother is. Cain, can you help me? God knew very well the choice that Cain had made. He gave way to his anger. He was mastered by his anger, and it led to murder. I don't find it just a coincidence that the first sin post-fall is, why are you so angry? And ever since, murder has been taking place since initial blood was shed, Cain killing his brother Abel. He was angry at God. He was angry at Abel. And I'm imagining at some level he was within himself pretty angry with himself. So I'll put the question to you, who are you actually angry with? If we all own up, fess up, be honest, we're angry with someone or something. So just want you to, what is it you're really angry with? And if you have to think back to the last situation you found yourself angry about, who were you really angry with? Some of us live life just ticked off towards God. God has shafted me. He's neglected me. He's forgotten me. He cares not about me. And I live my life angry towards God. Some just live life angry towards pretty much anyone and everything because everyone and everything is out to get me. And some live life just angry towards self of who I am or who I'm not. And this morning, as we are going to finally get into Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, I just, um, I wonder if you can imagine a life free from anger. And not just a life, your life. Like, I just want you to think for a second, like what it would be like to live your life free from anger. I'm talking about negative anger, unrighteous anger, sinful anger. 
Like, can you even imagine what your life would look like completely free from anger? There's plenty of books. Just go to Amazon, Barnes, Borders, any of them. There's sections on anger. It will teach you how to manage your anger. It will teach you how to control your anger. It will teach you how to survive your anger or survive someone else's anger. But I firmly believe that Jesus is not calling us to manage our anger, control our anger, survive our anger. He's called us to be free and live free from anger. And I wonder if you can just catch a glimpse of what your life would look like free from anger and know that's the life that God's called you to. I'm going to pray, and I just would ask that you pray as well. Just pray quietly just where you are, and I've already given you a lot right there. God might already be asking you that one question, why are you so angry? Would you just ask God what your desire is right now? And I hope and I pray that your desire would be to say, I want to be free from anger. I don't want to survive it. I don't want to manage it. I don't want to control it. I don't want to be mastered by it anymore. Please remember, anger has many faces. So God, please, Jesus, in what you preach to us today, in Matthew 5, you speak to how deadly and just devastating anger is. God, all of us would have to be honest and confess that we have anger that resides within. We all know what it's like to be on the back end of someone's anger. God, I just pray that this morning something significant would happen in each of our hearts. That what has mastered us in days past, we would be free. We would no longer be controlled by that which has controlled us. And God, where there has been devastation, where people have been literally, and relationships have literally just been destroyed, Jesus, you speak of restoration and reconciliation. So God, please do in our hearts what we can absolutely not do on our own. God, if there is one, if not more, that literally is in the grips of anger right now, mastered and controlled, given over to anger, let this be a great day of freedom. God, let this be a great day of freedom for every single man, woman in this place, for this community. Free of anger and filled with joy. God, free of anger and just filled with peace. God, free of anger and just filled with love and grace and mercy and compassion. God, please do these things. Matthew 5 says it like this. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. And this is Jesus speaking uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it, that it was said to the people long ago. Okay, this is an interesting phrase here. He says, you've heard it said six times. So over the next few weeks, this is how we'll always start. You've heard it said, okay? 
If you are a person who thinks you've got God figured out, well, probably two things. Jesus is really going to be kind of annoying to you because he's always challenging us to say, you think that of God, do not think like that of God. And ultimately what Jesus is doing here when he says, you've heard it said, is he's really challenging on how we understand God. And so he says, you've heard it said, but you've missed the point. Ultimately, he's correcting what the Pharisees and teachers and scribes, is that what they've taught the people, is they've misunderstood or misinterpreted what God has said in the Old Testament. And so Jesus is saying, you heard it said like this, but it's not how it was meant to be applied. And if you were here last week, we talked about the importance of Jesus was not only correcting misinterpretations, but Jesus was fulfilling the law. And so this is a powerful statement that he says, you've heard it said, but I am fulfilling what this means, okay? So you've heard it said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment, the same judgment that Jesus is talking about with murder. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, I'll explain what that means, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Okay, if that didn't wake them back up, I hope that wakes you up. How important is anger to Jesus? He says, in danger of the fire of hell. Like, this is not softly spoken like, you know, if you're dealing with anger, here's a pamphlet you can read about it. Or, I hope it gets better for you one day. Just smile, be kind, be nice, be happy. Jesus says, in danger of the fire of hell. Okay? Sixth commandment says, do not murder. Okay? That's Exodus 20, verse 13. You shall not murder. That's what they had always understood. That was a sixth commandment. People would get this. And by the way, some background. There's seven words that the Bible uses for murder. Uh, the one that is being used here and the one that Jesus is referring to is a murder that speaks to premeditation, meaning the intent was to kill, was to destroy, was to take life. So people had been taught for centuries, okay? I'm, not going, I'm going to avoid murder as to honor the sixth commandment. I want to be good with the Ten Commandments, so I'm not going to kill. But Jesus teaches, if you've been angry, unrighteous, premeditated, intentional anger, he says you've broken that commandment. He doesn't say uh, anger leads to murder. I want you to catch this. Anger is murder. There's a difference. He's not saying anger, if you're an angry person, eventually you'll be like Cain and drop a rock on someone's head. He's saying anger and murder in God's economy are one and the same. Yes, there are different consequences for literally killing someone and the consequences for being angry. But I don't want you to downplay what Jesus is saying. Anger does not lead to murder. It is murder. If you didn't think about this question yet, here's a question. Then it, Jesus is a murderer, right? Scripture clearly teaches reveals, shows that Jesus got bent out of shape on many occasions. Uses the word, he was angry. 
Okay? I'll give it to you. Mark 3, 5. He looked around at them. He's looking at the Pharisees, teachers of the law. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. There was a man who had a withered hand on the Sabbath. These guys completely ignored, neglected this man. And Jesus was looking around the room. What will these men who claim to love God do to come alongside this man? They do nothing. Jesus looks at them in anger that they neglected this man. And so Jesus does what Jesus always does. He says, forget about you. I will do what's right by this man in God's eyes. John 2, 13 through 16, a couple verses. When it's almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. Okay, I want you to catch this. So, do we have that on the, on the screen or no? Okay, we might not. So, he made a whip out of cords. Do you know how long it takes to make a whip? Okay, this wasn't like under his little, you know, robe was some Indiana Jones whip that he just busted out. He made a whip. This would have taken at least a solid hour, if not longer. As Jesus is making this whip, filled with anger what the people who claimed to know God, love God, were doing in God's house. So he made a whip of cords, drove uh, all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of money changers and overturned the tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into market? Is Jesus a murderer? Is he contradicting himself? Anger and murder. That's what he's saying. But scripture clearly teaches that Jesus got angry. Okay? There's two angers. I've already mentioned a positive, negative, righteous, unrighteous. There is a God-centered anger and a man-centered or a self-centered anger. God-centered is considered righteous. A self-centered is considered unrighteous. So a God-centered anger just looks like this. When you're angry because God's been dishonored. God's way has been distorted. And that causes anger within you because God's name has been profaned. God's ways has been totally just maligned. That's a righteous anger. That's what Jesus had. Unrighteous anger is when you're angry because you've been dishonored or your way has been maligned. Meaning you're angry because someone didn't get you what you wanted when you wanted it, how you wanted it. Someone insulted you. Someone hurt your feelings. Someone made fun of you. Someone let you down. Someone disappointed you. That would be, and you get angry about that. That's considered a unrighteous anger or a self-centered anger. So I do want to be clear. Jesus did not sin in his anger. His anger was rooted in righteousness, not selfishness, not insecurity, and certainly not pride. Go back to an earlier question I asked you like an hour ago. When's the last time you got angry? What was it that you got angry about? And even maybe look back over the past week, two weeks, month, over the past year. What has been the common, common theme of what causes anger within you? 
Is it God-centered, a righteous anger, or self-centered, an unrighteous anger? Like, have you ever got angry over racial violence, torture, genocide, sex trafficking, corporate greed, broken marriages, busted homes, adultery, pornography? Name, the list could go on and on. Have you ever been angry at things like that? And I'm talking about an anger that actually led you to do something. When we don't get angry, by the way, at injustices, and I'll just put injustice meaning sin, when we don't get angry at things like righteous anger, you know what that communicates to the world? Well, God clearly does not care about the injustice, the racism, the sex trafficking, the porn industry, broken homes, adultery. Because the people who claim to really like God, love God, want to be with God, they seem to not really care. They seem to only get care and get angry when someone offends them, when someone hurts their feelings. A great indicator of spiritual growth is when your heart begins to break for what breaks God's heart and you find yourself angry over what angers God. You will know that you're really starting to grow spiritually, meaning growing in your knowledge, understanding, love of God when your heart begins to break for the things that breaks God's heart. When the things that anger God, your heart is in a line with that and you find yourself angry over those things. How do you know if you're a righteous anger type of guy or an unrighteous type of, type of anger? I'll ask this. Is your anger coupled with tears? More times than not, when we, especially when we see Jesus in anger, it led to a sense of grief, a sense of tears, because his heart was broken over the sin, over the injustices that was going on in front of him. Christians are pretty notorious. We've made the news many times for things like picketing or um, standing outside of abortion clinics or homosexual gay parade type of marches and you know, notorious with hanging or holding up signs that says God hates fags or to people who are outside or in the abortion clinic, you know, at them, you're a murderer, you'll die, whatever the signs say. Like, we always make the news for things like that. We love protesting those injustices. But I can't un and I honestly say I've never seen someone actually holding that sign weeping. I've seen them foaming at the mouth. And I look, and why are you so angry? You don't, you don't even care about that person. You care more about just making sure everyone knows how strong you feel about whatever the issue that you're picketing or protesting. A great sign of spiritual growth will be when your heart begins to break for the things that breaks God's heart. And it's coupled with grief. It leads you to literally just tears because you're sad. You're brokenhearted over sin or injustices. I've already mentioned this to you, but Jesus makes clear in Matthew chapter 5 that hell uh, is the consequences for anger. 
Like it's really that important. He makes it so strong that the issue of anger is those guilty enough for hell. Interesting that, you know, people can now take someone to court over road rage or air rage or any other type of rage. We have lots of them. You can actually be brought to court because you went road rage uh, on somebody. But Jesus says, anger unchecked, anger not dealt with, danger of hell. Now, I'm really going to have to pick up the pace here, but a question, if you, there's two words, raka and fool. The vehicle that drove anger was words. Did you notice that? The demonstration of what Jesus is pointing to is our words, meaning he says anger, murder, and then he gives an example of how the anger actually showed up, specifically name-calling. Now, I know it's not that big of a deal if you, you're like, Michael, you're such a fool. I'd be like, well, God will deal with you. Like, I probably would not lose too much sleep if you called me a fool. But in the first century, names meant something, meaning your birth, your given name meant something. It tied into your personhood and your character. And so so when someone would call you a name, they would call into question your character, your identity, who you were. So it was not kosher to call someone raka, which essentially just means empty-headed or worthless, or to call someone fool, which is a way of calling someone a moron or an idiot or someone who is a rebel against God. That's what those two words mean. They attacked a person's personhood. Have you ever been at the receiving end of someone tongue-lashing you? I've always wondered, like, no one likes to be at the receiving end of someone verbally assaulting if we don't like it, why do we do it? Ever just wondered? We know what it's like when someone goes off on us, verbally assaults us. We know the pain. We know it hurts. But if we know that, why is it that we are so careless or reckless with our words towards other people? Because we know it wounds and that is our initial response reaction, is when wounded, wound back. When we want to hurt someone, we know how to do it. We use our words to cut someone down, to, to destroy someone. That's why Jesus goes after first anger. It seems odd to look at a group of Pharisees and be like, guys, don't murder. They'd be like, all right, we got that. We won't. It's a deeper issue that Jesus addresses first, and it's the issue of anger, okay? Proverbs 18, 21 says this, the tongue has the power of life and death, okay? Are you using your words to bring life or to bring others towards death? Are you killing people or building people up, okay? Ephesians 4, 29 Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Is anyone benefiting from anything you say? We are so careless with our words. 
That's a tough one. No unwholesome talk. Only what is helpful. Meaning, if what I'm about to say, is it going to be helpful? Is it going to be beneficial? Is it going to build you up? If it doesn't, why on earth would you say it? Are you trying to prove something? Are you trying to prove that you're better than them? Are you insecure enough that you have to let those words fly to make yourself feel better about yourself at the cost of putting someone else down? If it doesn't benefit them, why would you do it? If it doesn't build them, why say it? I think of husbands. Are how you speak to your wife, is it building her up? I see too many husbands make fun of their wives. They make their wives look like they're idiots. Oh, she's so stupid. Like husbands, are your words that are often, I'm just kidding, are they actually beneficial to your wife? Wives, I've seen it the same. Your words are so critical and criticizing of your husband. That should not be. There's no place for that. To all of us is what we, is coming out of our mouth. Is it actually benefiting those who are listening? This is really a cry. Please be intentional with your words. Okay? Once you speak a word, it's out there and it sticks. You cannot take it back. Ever. No matter how much you apologize, no matter how much you say, I was only kidding. No matter how much you try to recover, there is no take back. Once it's out there, it's out there and it sticks. So is the words that are sticking to people, the words that God wants to be stuck to that person. How many times have we heard verbal onslaught by people and it just sticks? I remember stuff people have said to me from years and years ago. That's the power of words. I hate you. Some people actually said, I can't believe you titled a message, I hate you. Do you know how powerful those three words are? I hate you. If you've ever gone through marriage counseling with me, I scream this from the top of my lungs. Never say that to a spouse. Never say that to anybody. Who are you to look at another person who bears the same image of God that you do and say, I hate you? There's judgment for stuff like that. Please be intentional with the words that come out of your mouth. Do not be just flippant and casual. Words are powerful. They will kill or destroy or they will build and bring life. Jesus said anger was present and it showed up. The vehicle it drove out in was the words. I'm going to go on and um, uh, finish with uh, the last couple verses. It says this in Matthew 5, 23 through 26. Therefore, if you are offering a gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front, uh, in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may uh, hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown in prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Okay? I'm going to summarize this very quickly because of time. Jesus gives two illustrations 
a guy going to worship, and someone who is on their way to court. And the basic point that Jesus is making is reconciliation is really important. If you've seen that anger has killed a relationship in your life, Jesus says there's a remedy. You are the remedy. Be the one to reconcile. Be the one to restore. Be the one to make the first move. How important, how urgent is this matter? It's a picture of if you're about to come up here and receive communion, or you show up at church to come offer worship to God, and God brings something, you remember something. In that moment before you come, before you show up, before you do your Bible study, if God brings a memory to mind that there is an unreconciled, stop what you're doing, don't come take communion, don't finish your worship, don't finish your Bible study, stop at that very moment and go reconcile and restore with that brother. Do whatever you have to. There's an importance of reconciliation and then the immediacy of being reconciled to that brother. This is pretty practical. I love this picture of if you just remember something. You ever just remember something like, huh, where did that come from? I haven't thought about that person in like five years. I don't know, could be God. Trying to say there is unforgiveness, there's bitterness, there's anger, there's division. Deal with it. Oh, I'm not going to, that person, that, that's, that's so old. I don't need to mess with that anymore. Your walk with God, your worship of God, your communion with God will be hindered until you reconcile what needs to be reconciled. You make the first move. If God brings to mind something that someone has against you, rather than waiting to, for them to come to you, you go to them. That's what Jesus says. Be the one to make the first move move. And then he gives this example. If you're on your way to court with someone, okay, this is a great picture of this is too far gone. It's already gone to court. Like it's so far, so much division that you now need a mediator between you and this person for whatever the issue is. You ever felt like that? Like a situation's just way beyond repair. Like we need someone else to speak into this situation. It's hopeless. Jesus says, if you're literally on your way to court with them in a situation that looks beyond repair, go. Do what you need to do to repair, restore, to reconcile with that brother. Don't let it go that far. Don't let it go any further. I remember years ago when I was literally floored by a question in Scripture. And I read this verse, I don't even know how many times, but a lot of times. It was 1 Corinthians 6. And it's Paul's talking about lawsuits in the church, brothers going against brothers. He says, the very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. This is his question that floored me, and I hope it levels you. Why not rather be wronged? I was like, wow. Why do I live my life always trying to get what I think I deserve? Why do I always live my life trying to be justified, understood? Why can't I just be okay with being wronged, knowing that God will justify in his way and his time? Like, why do I always have to live in such a way where I want everyone to know that I was right? Paul's question, why not rather be wronged? Like, isn't it better just to live with being wronged than have your witness completely shot and shattered because of the division? Like, can't we just live and say, you know what? I'm okay to be misunderstood. 
yeah, they've said those things about me, but I'm okay. I would rather be wronged than have my witness hindered because of fighting and division and bickering and anger. Jesus gives two examples, the guy going to church. Stop what you're doing, reconcile, and then come back. A guy's, two guys going to court. Do whatever you have to. Go in humility to that man. Go in humility, not hostility. Go seeking to restore with that person, not seeking to make sure you're somehow made to feel right or justified. This is a hard text because Jesus makes clear that anger doesn't lead to murder. It is. And anger has destroyed far too many relationships in my life. It's destroyed. I've wasted too many years being that angry guy. And I just wonder if there's people here today, and I'm guessing there are, who just be set free from your anger. Confess it and say, yeah, I am that angry woman. I am that angry man. Relationships with God has been devastated. Relationships with my spouse has been impacted. Relationships, friendships within my own home has literally been destroyed because of my anger. Confess that. Repent of that. Ask God to create in you a new heart that would actually be filled with joy and patience and kindness and goodness and mercy. God can take however hard your heart is and make it soft. I don't have time to tell you the story, so I'll just share the punchline. I remember I went nine years unreconciled for my father. And I had one thing that I was hanging on to. I could not let go. I did not talk to him for five years. I did not want to be around him in the same room with him. And I was a Christian at the time, actually trying to act like I was walking with God, but it was just killing my walk with God. And after nine years, I, there was a quasi-reconciliation, but there was one thing I hung on to. I could not let go. I could not tell my dad I loved him. I would like hang up the phone and he would be like, oh, Michael, I'm really proud of you. I love you. I'm like, oh, awesome, sweet. I could not get the words, I love you, out of my mouth. And I remember the day where I literally felt like I was going to die because my heart was so hard. And God was saying, today is a day that you are going to tell your father you love him. And you will release this hate. You will release this anger because if you don't, it will kill you. It's already killed relationships. Now it's going to kill you. And I remember this moment where in front of how God worked it out, in front of literally a couple hundred people, I walked up on stage where my dad was speaking, interrupted him and said, Dad, I got to do this. I just want you to know I love you. And tears obviously were crazy coming out my eyes, weeping. And in that moment, I just, I'm not kidding. I'm not making this up. I literally felt uh, my heart just release. And I will not be up here and say I've never had anger since then or I've never struggled with anger. I have. But I know what it's like to live with a heart that's released. And I want you to know that that's the heart that God desires you to have is a heart that is released. 
It's free from anger, bitterness, jealousy, insecurity, rage, murder. And it's just filled with grace, compassion, mercy, forgiveness. As you would come up and we continue in worship and celebrate communion, please check with God, is my heart right? Not only with you, but is there someone that I need to reconcile with? And if God brings to mind someone that you need to reconcile and restore with, do it. Even if you look stupid, even if you got to humble yourself and look foolish, it's worth it. Father God, I give thanks that you love us enough, Jesus, to tell us that anger is murder. God, we've all committed it. We've all done it. God, I know your desire is uh, very clear. Not to manage our anger, control our anger, or survive it, but to live free. Jesus, you are the only way that we can live free from anger. So Jesus, if there is anyone in this place this morning, this afternoon, that's heart is just hard as a rock, filled and plagued with anger. God, might they experience that release today? God, might what would you take what's been made hard and just create joy and peace and love and grace and forgiveness? And God, if you do bring someone to mind that we do need to get right with, to be reconciled with, then would you please give each of us the courage to stop what we're doing and do that. God, I pray that we would each be good stewards uh, just with your voice, that when you speak, we would not only hear, but we would respond. And so if you're speaking, whether it's to our own anger or the anger that's destroyed a relationship, God, might we respond to you and make the first move to restore and to reconcile. God, I really just pray that if there is someone who's really struggling with anger, that today would be a day of great victory uh, and great freedom. God, I give you thanks that you rescued me from being a bitter, hard-hearted, angry guy years ago and allowed me to experience just that release. God, I just pray for that... uh, whoever that might be here today, there could be a release and there could be renewed relationships. God, I pray marriages would be restored where husbands would speak to their wives with love and affection and wives would speak to their husbands in kindness. God, that we would speak to one another the relationships, the friendships we have with words that would bring life, that would build, that would encourage, that would benefit. God, that we would be a community and a people that would never let a careless word fly out of our mouth again. 
God, let this be a marked day where we no longer choose to live in the chains of anger, but we live free.